Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name is Robbie Angle, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Most of us get stuck in our relationships with God and others, and we end up wondering, is this really all there is to it? True Face equips you to experience deeper relationships with God and others, equipping a growing group of men and women with a toolbox of teaching and experiences to help you experience the peace and the freedom of the original good news. And part of that toolbox is a catalog of small group curriculum. And one of the most exciting new resources that we've been working on for over a year is coming out September 16th. The pre-order is out today, September 1st, trueface.org forward slash DWS. That stands for Divided We Stand, How to Love When We Disagree. Uh, A little over a year ago, I was talking to a guy at Right Now Media about some of the projects we were working on, and I said, man, I, I, I can't handle the division. It's driving me crazy, and there." Like Christians should be leading the way, but it feels like we're struggling. God's called us to unity, and we should be the example for what love looks like. And so, how do how do we help people understand um, what love looks like, what grace looks like with stupid people, with people that we think are stupid that we disagree with? Uh, oftentimes, we don't do too well loving them, and so I. Uh, started a project. Uh, we started a project where um, we have prayed a lot, worked a lot, and said, God, how do we do this? How do we help people move towards the mess to apply grace in this time of division, in conversations of division? And we pulled together a team, a, a, a group, a round table of a diverse group of men and women to model and process the principles that lead us to conversations of grace, of how to disagree well, how to love when we disagree. And this is a four-part small group study called Divided We Stand, How to Love When We Disagree. And today's guest is one of the four other uh, roundtable participants that you will watch over four weeks, have conversations around this mess and try to model and teach the principles that lead to healthy, loving conversations. And so I am really excited to introduce Jennifer Jakanovich. Friends out there listening to this, Jennifer, welcome to the True Face Podcast. How are you? Thank you so much, Ravi. Good morning. I'm great. I'm happy to be here. I haven't How seen are you. I'm great. I, I haven't seen you since we spent like three days together filming this stuff and working on it. Yeah. So this is really fun uh, to get some time. I I want to hang out with you and Dano. Um, I've never met your husband, Dano, but you guys are like one of the most interesting couples ever. And so I'm super excited to have this conversation. Well, thank you. I, it was such a privilege to be in that group and to participate in the round table. I learned so much. And so it was a real honor to be part of that. And you are welcome to Boston anytime, Dano. And I would love to have you and your family over. Uh, that's a big ask, as you know my, what my family looks like. <laughs> no, you have a big family. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming. I've never been to Boston. 
Uh, so for 25 years, Jennifer has been researching how to gather people together across deep differences to work together towards a common good, which is why we said we, we've got to get Jennifer as part of this roundtable. She's worked with advisors to the president of the U.S. and working with, with religious groups from Western investors to Rwandan entrepreneurs from the inner city poor to those with wealth, and most recently as vice president for student life at Gordon College. Now she's in a new phase, pursuing her PhD in global leadership and change through Pepperdine University. When are you done with that? Hopefully I will be done by December. That's my goal. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yes. <laughs> my family course. can't wait. <laughs> I bet. Speaking of your family, you've been married to Dano for 25 years? This year, yes. That's awesome. You've got a 19, 15, and 13-year-old, so you're launching your oldest to college, and you've mm -hmm. still got that 13-year-old eighth grader or going into eighth grade? What's He's going into seventh. Going into seventh. Um, so when I was talking to Jennifer about coming on the podcast, from my time with Jennifer, she's got all kinds of stories uh, from her international experience, from her domestic experience. But Jennifer, I I'd love for you to share um, what's going on in your heart and um, what, what you've been learning and going through and processing with the, the broader True Face tribe. Thanks, Robbie. Uh, again, it's just a privilege to be here and have a conversation with you. And I always learn from our times together. So I just returned from spending a month in Rwanda for my PhD research, actually. So I just got back getting over jet lag, uh, launching my daughter into college. So it's an interesting season. And um, maybe even in our conversation today, it'll help me to process the last month. But, you know, so much of our world these days, as you said, there's so much disagreement, there's so much tension. Um, there's such a lack of trust. Uh, there's a huge crisis of trust um, in the world today. And I just have had a desire to know and better understand how to build trust across cultures, especially. And even in the US, as we are such a diverse um, society. And so how do we foster a spirit of humility in order to build trust with one another. So that's just a question that's been on my mind. And our family lived in Rwanda from 2009 to 2013, um, when we started a management consulting firm um, to really honor the poor and help alleviate poverty. We moved there with two other families to launch this, and it was an incredible season. Mm. Um, and so I learned so much during that season. And a lot of my my current interests stem from that time, which like in most things in life, like you can't, <laughs> that season wouldn't have been possible without the previous eight years that we spent in more of the inner city area of Seattle and all that we learned from our neighbors in that season, which was a very humbling time. Um, and so I feel like because of our, our church community in the Rainier Valley of Seattle and so much of what we learned, um, it really launched us into Rwanda well. But I, you know, everything's a learning experience, but we moved into an area of Rwanda. And for those, I think probably most have heard there's, there was a Rwandan genocide in 1994 is the year I graduated college. Um, I remember actually being in a job interview. I was happened to be with world vision and they 
had to interrupt our interview because they were getting a live report from Rwanda and hearing about the bodies floating down the river. It was quite, um, made a huge impression on me. I never would have imagined back then at 22 that I'd be living in Rwanda or have a Rwandan son. Mm. Um, but I think one of the lessons that I learned that really has influenced me and set up this last month is, you know, I kind of went into Rwanda with my idea of what doing good looked like, what serving would look like. And I look back on it now, kind of chagrined, I won't lie. Like I was thinking about what I could do to help. And I had read all the books when helping herds, you know, I knew all the right answers, but I still had my own agenda. And if I've learned anything in life, it's really, we need to be yielding our agenda to God's and constantly asking him what his plans are and not our own. Um, but I had an idea of how I was going to make some grand systemic changes and really work with the Rwandan government on, especially related to the plight of the orphan, because I'm an adoptive mom and I was mm. facilitating adoptions. And it was like beating my head against a wall. There are so many stories with that one um, that were very eye-opening. But I finally one day, it was like, I just heard this quiet voice just say, look what I'm doing look where I'm already at work. And what I realized is over the two years that I lived there, that I, what was working were just relationships with my neighbors. Um, I was going into the poorer areas of my neighborhood, which were literally right next to my house um, and meeting moms and engaging with them and just being a friend and learning their language and, um, and so I was thinking in my mind, like, oh, I can, you know, I can do some English and Bible clubs with these kids. And so they should all come to my home. That's what I should do. And so I had like anywhere from 30 kids to 100 kids packed into my living room for these clubs that I would do or camps. Um, but I realized I was, if I was honest with myself, it was kind of about myself and how I looked in that setting and, and realizing that. Um, I wanted them to, you know, to come to my home where I could really show them what it, life could be like kind of a deal. It was very arrogant if I think about it. And it was this convicting moment of like, what would it look like to step into the shoes of my neighbors, recognizing I can never fully step into their shoes. I didn't grow up as they did. I didn't go through a genocide. I have no idea what that looks like, but what would it look like to just walk more in their shoes. And so I actually asked one of the moms if I could host these clubs in her home, which you have to imagine is like a five by 10, like it's really small space. And the, I will never forget the look on Mama Danieray's face. Like when I asked her that, because mm. what I realized in asking her was I was honoring the dignity that she already had, but by saying, you desire to give hospitality, you desire, you're already a generous person. What would it look like to, you know, to just have this in your space? And the pride she took in hosting these clubs, where literally we had no, we were like crammed. I mean, it was a space no bigger than my office and we'd have 35 kids in there. And just how that shifted my own recognition of what it looks like to honor the other. And 
um, from that, it was like, then it was back to that God question of like, look at what I'm already doing in your neighborhood. And it really was, there was a relational trust that had developed when I stepped out of my comfort zone and went into, into her home and into the homes of the other women. Suddenly there was a new level of trust that was built between us, even though we had a language barrier. Hmm. And from there, um, started a recognize most of the women just wanted to work. Um, they wanted the honor and the dignity of work. And so I was facilitating an adoption for a woman named Jessica Honiger, who started a company called Noonday Collection. And I just asked her, like, if I could get the women in my neighborhood trained to learn how to sew, is there a product that they could make for you? So now if you ever purchase something from Noonday Collection, you will get that item in a little accessory bag made by my neighbors. Mm. Um, and there was a long process of starting that business, but um, recognizing the trust that it took for them to let me into their world and for me to um, honor them in their world, like to say, you have dignity just because of who you are made in the image of God. And and that required a humility on my part to know, to know who I am, not, you know, to know who the gifts that I've been given and yet to not be superior to another. And so um, going back to Rwanda this last month was really about wanting to hear their stories because we hear stories of leaders from those with positions of power. And even in the Rwandan context, position really matters. Um, the What the president says goes. Um, and they're, I just believe that there are these unseen leaders, um, often among the most disenfranchised, who have something to teach us. And so how could um, I just hear their stories and understand what trust looks like for them mm. in a leadership context and to give them voice? And how do they define it? Because our world is increasingly global, and I think we need to hear from these voices more and so as to prevent more Jennifer's going in and saying, oh, I know the way to do this. You know, mm. like you should all come to my house and do it my way versus going into their house and hearing and sitting at their feet and listening to how they do that. And so I've just spent the last month listening to stories about how these women define trust. And it's been a gift. What did you hear from them? It, it, have you have you had time to synthesize and distill some of that? Or do you want to do that extroverted all right now? And Call it, call it. <laughs> Try to process that last. Yeah. Yeah. I've, well, I've been transcribing. So um, that's, I've spent my week doing that. Um, so I haven't, you know, synthesized it all. What has struck me is how important trust is hmm. in a society, in cross cultural work, how long it takes to build trust and, how quickly it can be destroyed. Mm. And I think if you think of the Rwandan context where literally neighbors, you know, who had grown up, one woman was sharing, like, you know, her neighbor was like her godfather. Like he took, they had meals together. He, he nurtured her and even in the faith. And then he, the call goes out for the genocide and suddenly that neighbor is taking the life of her family. Um, how do you overcome that kind of break in trust? And I think what was sobering was whenever I would ask, 
how did someone can you provide it you know an example of someone you trusted to lead you toward a goal more often than not the the answer was actually a story in the negative mm-hmm. there really weren't stories in the positive and that was and not in the context of just the genocide but just um how people who promised something broke their promise and so that was convicting to me as i thought about even how i maybe approached these women when i first met them of thinking okay yeah let's get your kid in school let's let's you know get you a job let's do all this and yet um they were so used to trust being broken in their life that my promises just seemed um, like they did lip service to them. <laughs> like I, they didn't really think that anything would come of it. Um, when you think about the years living there and building trust, once you had that pivot uh, where instead of systemic change, uh, I, I, I love what you said of you felt like God saying, look where you're already at work which is in relationship with your neighbors. And once you had that pivot towards that relationship, um, what, what are some of the things that you felt cracked through, uh, that trust barrier, um, and and led to, to healthy relationships? I think being willing to go into their homes and, you know, Ultimately, I don't think I thought of it in this way, but like having a posture of humility, like Mm -hmm. again, not being ashamed of who you are and your culture and where you come from and even your wealth, like, but setting that, like saying, okay, yeah, that's who I am. But now I'm going to go into this context and just sit at their feet. And I think being willing, many of them told me even in this last month, how they just weren't used to someone coming into their home and not um, making them feel ashamed mm-hmm. of maybe how little they had, um, commenting on the beauty of what was seen. Because, like, if you could meet these women, I mean, the thing that's always struck me about is Rw- about Rwanda in particular is the dignity with which people um, carry themselves. And so just trying to honor that dignity. So I think also just being authentic, um, you know, Americans are known for just saying what's on our mind, and, um, maybe sharing a little bit more personally than other cultures. Um, but that seemed to break the ice mm. with them. Mm. The fact one woman actually said, she's like, I just couldn't believe how like honest you were being with us. Um, I didn't think anything of that, but um, I think just, yeah, spending time and which requires language learning. Right. So, I sound like a two-year-old when I'm in Rwanda, but I think you have to be willing to make a fool of yourself. Yep. You have to to try and engage, and most people will honor that attempt or appreciate that attempt. But in the bigger conversations, I always had a translator so that I could really engage with them. But um, I, I, the depth of that truth uh, that you said. Uh, to how to foster a spirit of humility to build trust. I, I, I've been thinking about that since you said it earlier in your story. Foster a spirit of humility to build trust. That is as close to Christ-likeness as possible. And, and the tension in that is I can't do that without Jesus. Like, 
my ego, like in and of myself, I humility is this like chief virtue that I can't get to. I mean, I, I can I can take some steps, but this is th- this rootedness and I'm an adopted, loved son, which is you said gifts given without a sense of superiority. And the primary call is his grace. I get to receive his grace. I have nothing of my own of everything of value was given to me and therefore I can give it away. That, that posture of humility leading to building trust. How how do we nurture that? Is it just from practicing it? Is it trusting the truth and practicing it with our neighbors in relationships that that muscle, that strength that God, you know, has, has built in you has grown. I don't know if it's chicken or egg or of like the identity piece or the practice piece, or it's a, it's a both and a commingling as you've been doing it for decades. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we always like a prescription or the seven steps, seven habits or something like, I don't, I don't think humility can be prescribed. Mm. Um, I think it can be nurtured. I, um, and like any habit of the heart, nurture requires discipline, right? So um, it's interesting, like, whenever I ask the women, like, how would you define humility? They all had the same answer. It is um, to not view yourself as more superior than another, regardless of age or status. Like, mm-hmm. that was, and most of these women um, haven't finished, like, maybe finished primary school. So this is not some, you know, theoretical dissertation on humility. This is just coming from their heart, which is interesting in a culture that is so high, um, views power, you know, really esteems power. So I found that interesting that they recognize the simplicity of that, but they actually commented on how you can, they were saying, you can't teach this. Yeah. This comes from your up. Well, they said this comes from your upbringing, um, and how you were raised, uh, and I, I would say there's definitely truth to that, but if we can't, if we can't nurture it, then I think we're in trouble, right? So yeah. you want to be able to nurture it. So I think for me, something I'm constantly working on is is gratitude. I think gratitude is actually um, a root, a really important discipline, mm. because if you are grateful, if you recognize everything as a gift. And I don't know how to think about this not in the Christian context. I think that's yep. that's actually what I think Christianity could offer to the world in this time is kind of a <laughs> rephrasing of what true humility is because we are in such a narcissistic um, yep. time of the self and the self will only get us so far. So true humility is recognizing who you are in, in relation to something greater than yourself. And so for the Christian, that would be, God. And, you know, the, um, so I think a constant, I I don't know in my life, maybe it's my mother. I just, I do view everything as a gift. Um, even in our journey to adoption, you and I have that in common. Um, children did not come the way I planned. And so there was a yielding, a surrender of, okay, Lord, what is your vision for our family? And that question was a huge pivot for us. And so as our family formed through adoption, I, I view my children as a gift. I know every parent views their child as a gift, but it's, 
there's there's been loss yep. right yep. so when you've had loss i think you and even my own children they've experienced a great loss so i feel like you just maybe see gratitude more you see the gifts more clearly when you've lost when you've lost um i uh god uh, help me understand the depths of these truths because i'm in a brain fog a little bit right today because i've got this head cold going around around my eight kids um that's going through like a tsunami to our family right now but Mm -hmm. the significance of this fostering a spirit of humility to build trust that that's foundational to what love looks like what jesus made possible and you also said i'm looking at my notes gifts that our posture of humility looks like um, being aware of our gifts given without a sense of superiority. False humility looks like, well, without a sense of superiority, but there's an authenticity to gifts given and how you connected that to gratitude of like gratitude allows you to be aware of the gifts that God's given you with thankfulness, but also a realization of those gifts are, are from a father, which is his grace that we we get to be so thankful for again through a Christian mindset without that sense of superiority is such an amazing posture. And then the fact that he wove the practical example of what that looks like in your life um, around moving away from God, what can I do big for you into look at what you're where he's already at work in your relationships with your neighbors. That is That is an expression, a ministry expression to the statement you said of how can we have, be aware of our gifts without a sense of superiority. Well, that's a, that's a posture of loving those around us as, as one of the primary ministries we have. And man, I struggle with that. I, I, cause I get it. We have a national ministry and we, we get to teach all this stuff. And so there's so much pressure and opportunity to, to think big, like God needs all of us listening to this to do something big for him. Like all of us listening have this, this desire to, uh, to live a life of significance, right? And mm-hmm. oftentimes our natural go-to because society's infusing us with this message every second of the day that significance is connected to, to size or scope of influence. And your story, I just can't shake what God did in your own life and what he taught you through this principle is so amazing of going, no, where he's working is through the relationships with your neighbors. And that is what Jesus did. Like that, that feels like his ministry. And I forget that all the time. And this is such a good reminder for me to go, God, am I, am I really viewing, um, love and, and, and am I modeling a life of, of, of having a spirit of humility to build trust? That's a relational expression. And am I doing that with the people you're bringing into my life? Not to say ministries and big stuff is bad, but, oh, that's the good stuff that, that you were able to love so powerfully to your neighbors in Rwanda. Help me unpack that. Like, how do I steward that tension of like, We've got true face, but at the same time, Jesus's impact was through the relationships of love where he was aware of his gifts given without a sense of superiority as an incredible different handle on what humility looks like. Mm. It's a hard one. Well, thank you. For, uh, yeah. I mean, 
Um, I think I don't have the quote in front of me, but Henri Nouwen talks a lot about the ministry of presence, you know, just helping um, for us just to be faithful in a ministry of presence with those around us. Um, I am one who, I won't lie, like I think we all have those motives that you talked about, like you want to have significance and you want to have scale. And um, and so there, there is a discipline in that of just, I think, a yielding each and every day, like, Lord, help me be faithful to the one you've given me to do. Um, and or given, you know, put in my, put in my line, which at times and in seasons, like when we lived in Seattle and I had small kids, like that was my, my ministry was often to them, but yet it was opening our eyes to even, you know, I was trying to get in some political conversations in Seattle. And yet we lived on a neighborhood corner where there were drug addicts and prostitutes. And so, um, it was like, okay, well, what are you calling us to do here? And so for us in that season, it was like, well, we could provide them a safe, these kids a safe place to come to once a week. Like, let's do that. So it was just using, you know, hospitality. It's, I think, a very important part of this. But we just started serving burgers on Thursday nights. And mm. we these kids looked at us with skepticism, with Oh my gosh, you want to talk about trust? Like they stole from us the first night, stole my wallet, stole a video camera with my daughter's like first year life stuff on it. Like we were, it was hard. And yet by the end, after four years, we had 50 kids coming every Thursday night, like who just desired to be known. Like everyone just wants to be known, right? And loved. And so I think how grace is experienced is through relationship and Miroslav Wolf talks a lot about this. Well, he's he's written that book, Exclusion Embrace, which is such a good book. But he's also written about humility and talks about just friendship being mm. such a place to nurture humility. So I know you all do, you know, these small groups that are and and book studies because it's through relationship that you increase trust and experience grace, right? So I think friendship, like we're in such a lonely time in our society. Um the loneliest like teenagers are the loneliest ever and even in a time of social media so i think one of the habits that can be nurtured to foster humility and increase trust is just increasing the opportunities for friendship mm. so i honestly like i'm not who i am without the seven women i get together with every year who i started college with um or my little group of galentines we call ourselves here and like there are friends who have even in Rwanda like the two families that we started that project with started the business with there's no way we would have been able to do what we did in that season without accountability and friendship and so in friendship you have a mirror to yourself like people are going to tell you what you're doing well and what you're not and if you're honest with them and if we allow ourselves to be authentic which requires a step of trust which requires risk then hopefully we're being refined more in the image of God, right? So whether you're single or married, like you need those relationships in your life who are going to hold a mirror up to you so that, again, you have that posture of humility to say, okay, this is who I am with all my faults because for every virtue, there's a vice. So these are my true motives. Now what do I do with those? And then 
that's where repentance comes in and confession. I go to an Anglican church, we confess every week. Like it's, that's a good practice. Um, And it keeps you humble, but so I guess, yeah, there are disciplines. There are disciplines of gratitude. There's disciplines of nurturing friendship and making the time for that. And I mean, I worked for a college. I was in the administration of a college. We always had to keep the mission of the college utmost importance. Yep. But I guess for me, it was we can never lose the one. So if you have the mission and you lose sight of the one, then your mission's not going to be very fruitful. Hmm. Uh, and so how do you nurture those ones? And so for me, with you know, it was a small college, 1,500 students, but a practice that I actually learned from my boss, Phil Later, I'll give him a shout out, who, who was on President Clinton's cabinet. Like he used to write birthday cards hmm. to everyone in his, he ran the small business administration. He would write a birthday card and that really made an impact on me. And so I used to just write birthday cards and to the students for that day and pray for them. And often, I won't lie, it was often just wrote like, okay, happy birthday. (laughs) But sometimes it was like, you just got an insight, like a prayerful, like something just popped into my head, you know, and you trust the spirit and write that thought. And then the student tells you, wow, that particular word meant so much to me on this day. And so I think those are just little steps for me. That was like a practice, a habit, so that I would never forget the one in light of the larger mission. Okay. So my notes are out of control on this podcast because I'm trying to tie these principles together that you're so naturally weaving through. Um, I'm going to take a stab. I got, I got, I got five. I just, it's like a a web down here on my notepad. And so I'm going to extrovert and then um, I'm going to let you tell me what I missed and then leave us with anything you want to leave us as we wrap up this podcast, Jennifer. Um, anything you want to to share with us? But if you are listening to this, um, and you're in some kind of small group, or even with your family, or with with whoever you're doing life with as a body of Christ in small intentional relationships, cell groups, life groups, home church. Uh, this study, divided we stand. Go check it out. Trueface.org forward slash dws and and enjoy engage with us on these conversations on what love looks like when we disagree to apply these truths of humility and love and grace into relationship with each other. Uh, that's the hope. And that's hard to do with some people easier to do with others. And if we can practice on doing that with the hard, it, it builds that muscle on what this, this art of humility looks like. And, on the top of my page, uh, trying to synthesize this, you're, it feels like you're unpacking the art of humility, which is the chief virtue, which is Christ-likeness. And because of our identity, uh, because of his grace, we have a foundation of a new identity to allow us to do this. So that's that's the overarching truth of the gospel, which differentiates Christians. So number one, um, I, I captured that I heard you saying what... Christians can offer the world is that we can foster a spirit of humility out of our identity to build trust and trust is what the world needs. So that was what I wrote down. And then number two, a a definition of what that looks like or a little bit more meat on those bones is, is humility is a posture of being aware of the gifts God's given us, which looks like gratitude without a sense of superiority 
which looks like understanding who we are in relation to somebody else, imago day, to seeing the the value of in them and the dignity in the other person. Then third, I captured, okay, what that looks like in ministry, if that's an expression of a definition of what that of humility that leads to trust looks like, what it looks like in ministry is that subtly in ministry, you said earlier, you, you started in ministry earlier, you had more of a, a unspoken sense that ministry was about you, that the ministry you were doing was about yourself. And as you've matured, as you've done ministry, it, it's become more about the other people. And that is what Jesus modeled for us. I mean, it, it's so clear because like in the last supper, he said, this is it y'all love ministry looks like washing others feet it looks like a selfless act of caring for others and i'm convicted and i'm heavy this morning of really evaluating when whatever ministry i'm a part of how much of that's really about me versus about the other people and that's such a healthy question for all of us to prayerfully bring to our father and say what areas of ministry are about me and jesus help me, um, love people and, and what you get, allow me to be a part of, help it to be more selfless and more about them. So that was the third thing. Fourth, I put that, um, the practice of ministry. So if that's a a posture of ministry, then the practice of that is to look where, where God's always already at work. He taught you that in Rwanda, instead of thinking big, significant, don't miss where he's already at work which is with your neighbors, which is relationships. And fifth, how you work on that humility and develop that humility, how you nurture that humility that leads to trust is through friendship, which is that neighbor, is that relationship, and through a posture of gratitude. And I I, I need to process this more, Jennifer. This is so good. And your your story and testament of how God's taught you this through the practicing of it, through the nurturing of humility to build trust. Praise God. And I'm so thankful to be your friend. And and as you continue to follow the adventures wherever God has next for you after Pepperdine, it's going to be fun. And uh, and I'm excited. I'm going to have you back on here uh, to continue to process this stuff. Jennifer, I uh, am thankful for you. I'm thankful for you being a part of this Divided We Stand study. And I'd love to wrap up this podcast with you leaving us uh, with what I missed or anything else you have for this True Face tribe as we wrap up. Well, thank you for synthesizing all of that. I need someone like you in my life. Maybe you can write my dissertation. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate how you um summed all of that up and it's a good reminder for me myself i think you know as this study that you've launched divided we stand um has indicated we are in such a time of tension um in the united states and in our world and so 
I think right now Christians have, there's a certain perspective of what Christians look like politically and um, culturally. And so I think that this posture of humility is even more needed because if we actually have confidence in who we are as children of God, then we can go into any setting, secular or faith-based to just be like, I know who I am. And because I know who I am, I am called to a posture of humility that allows me to love another and love the stranger and wash someone else's feet. And, that is what I long for Christians to be known for. Um, it doesn't mean that we're going to be accepted, but the early church flourished because the mm. church had that posture of humility. And so I I long to see that for my children, for their children, um, as as we see where our country goes in, in ensuing years. So thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for allowing me to share some stories. And I really appreciate you and what you do at True Faith. So thank you. Thanks, Jennifer, and let it be so. Amen. God, we love you. Thanks, Jennifer. This was fun. See ya. Thank you. Bye.